Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather here in your house, the opportunity to hear your word and spend time with you. Lord, in these moments where you have the opportunity to speak to us in the power of your word and for us to receive your gifts and sing your praises this morning, may you be glorified. And may you continue to shape us and mold us to encourage us and inspire us to more faithfully and closely walk with you each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about the next part of our sermon series as we take a look at grace going forward. We've been looking at this over the past couple of weeks and talking about different themes along the way. So in the first week, we talked about what does it mean to be a beautiful church? And in that, we talked about how the church is not a location. It is God's people. So in fact, you can have a church without a building, and you can have a building without the church. There are plenty of churches that don't have a building or over time weren't able to meet in a building. So they met in basements or they met in people's homes or in the very early church. Sometimes we would even meet in graveyards because that was the safest place in the midst of persecution. And then there are buildings that don't have a church. In fact, if you go to Europe, you can actually see in Europe that there are plenty of buildings, beautiful cathedral-style buildings, and yet there is no longer a church, a people, that inhabit those buildings. Which is why when we talked about the church, we said the church is not a location, but the church is God's people. It's God's people who display His glory. In the second week, we talked about what does it mean to be a discipling church? Meaning, what does it mean for us to be disciples who are part of the church? And we talked about how Christ spoke to his disciples and told them, if you abide in me and I abide in you, then you will bear fruit, fruit which lasts. And so we talked about how it is only Christ's life that gives us life, that we look for life in a lot of different places. But true life, lasting life, is only in one place. And then we spoke about how for us, we need to be connected to Christ. And the more closely we're connected to Christ, the stronger we are and the more fruit we bear. And that's what God calls us to be. So today, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a reaching church. And to do that, we're going to talk about how different things have a purpose. We're going to talk about the purpose of the church. But to start, as we talk about how different things have a purpose, and our uh, children who are here can play along today, uh, we're going to play a little game. It's going to be up on the screen for you this morning. I'm going to show you an item, and then you have to tell me what is the purpose of that item. And we'll start easy and we'll get hard. The first two are pretty easy. So here's the first one. What is it? It's a ladder. That's right. What do you use a ladder? What's the purpose of a ladder? Climb things to get things that are really high. Very good. All right. We're one for one. All right. What is that? That's a chair. That's right. That's a chair. What is the purpose of a chair? Sitting in it. Someone last night said taking a nap, so that works too, right? So, so we said that, so you're two for two. All right, we're going to get a little tricky now, okay? So here's the next one. What's that? A hairbrush, that's right. What do you use a hairbrush for? That's right, singing into it. That's right, you sing into it, especially kids who, you know, don't have a microphone. So good, okay, so some of you got that one. All right, here's the next one. It's a fork. What do you use a fork for? Combing hair, that's right, comb hair with it. Some of you have seen that in Ariel, right? All right, good. All right, here's the next one. 
Couch, good. What do you use a couch for? Building a fort, exactly. So some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have tons of forts built in your house out of couch cushions. All right, here's the last one. Some of you are now two for three, so that's not really that good. So, so this is where you redeem yourself on this last one, okay? What is that? Vacuum cleaner, that's right, vacuum cleaner. What do you use a vacuum cleaner for? Yeah, that's right, doing your daughter's hair. You don't believe me? Just watch. Dads, this is really important, so. You see the hair tie right at the end? It's very important. Yeah, you see her looking at it like, that. I'm not sure about this. See, dads, I just saved you like half an hour of work every morning, <laughs> just like that. So, see, you learned something today, but, uh, right? Now, here's the thing, uh, kind of humorous in some of these, but here's the thing. If you don't know what something's used for, you can't use it correctly. You need to know the purpose of something in order to use it for the purpose for which it was created. I mean, think Little Mermaid. She really thought in the movie that that fork was to be used to brush your hair. Because if you don't know what it's used for, you can't use it for the purpose for which it was created. Today we're gonna to ask this question, what is the purpose of the church? For what purpose did God create the church? And if that's the purpose for which he created the church, then how are we called to live that purpose out? And we can't live it out if we don't know the purpose. We're gonna look at this in John chapter one. So if you wanna follow along, you can find that on page 886 in the Bibles in front of you, page 886. Uh, we heard the first part of what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna to look at both the first part and then there's a second part that goes along with this as Jesus calls his first disciples, page 886. Now, as you're turning there and looking that up, understand that in John, there really is no birth narrative. So Jesus has not fully shown up on the scene, except just prior to this, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking along, pointed to him and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And goes on and says, for he who comes after me is greater than me because he was before me. And he points people to Jesus. And we're gonna see John do this again as we get into this text. John chapter one, starting in verse 35, says this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, if this is today's world, that, that would have been a very hard thing to handle for any of us, right? If we were John the Baptist, because nobody likes to be second. And John the Baptist understands that now he has become second and Jesus is first. And that probably for us would be a very hard thing because none of us want to be second choice. I mean, think about friendships, relationships. Think about teenagers and, and junior high students. If they want to go out with their friends and they call up a group of friends and say, hey, can we hang out this weekend? And, and they say, well, I just need to find out from my other group of friends if they want to hang out first. But if, if they don't want to hang out, then I'll hang out with you. Does that sound like a good option? Being second option? No. 
And yet this is what John the Baptist does. John the Baptist goes, behold the Lamb of God. And his, some of his disciples decide they're gonna leave John to follow Jesus. And that could be a hit to the ego to say, oh, you're going from me to him? Unless that was the purpose for which you came. The purpose for which John came was not to attach people to him, but to attach people to Jesus, to point them beyond himself to somebody who was greater, to, to almost serve as an attendant that says, not me, but him, keep going. Which is actually uh, baked into the purpose of a church. Because the purpose of the church is never to get attached to a pastor or a church worker or a small group leader. And once you get attached to them, if they leave, then it's hard to stay. But the point of being in church is to be attached to the only one who will forever stay a part of the church. And that's Jesus. To be attached to him. And that's why every pastor and every church worker that grace has will always point you to the one that is greater than themselves, and that is Jesus Christ. Just as John the Baptist did. It says, not me, him. Follow him. John the Baptist understood that prophets and leaders, they come and go, but Jesus will stay forever. And in our life, we need to do the same for our children and for those who are around us. We don't point to ourselves. In fact, if you look at this world today, there is a lot of self-promotion in this world today, is there not? A lot of people who, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever that uh, social media that you use is, and you look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But for Christians, it should be, don't look at me, look at him. He's the one that matters. So John points the disciples, his disciples, to Jesus, and they go and follow Jesus. And Jesus turns around, it says in verse 38, and saw them following and says, what are you seeking? And I need to tell you that this for us needs to be a question that we constantly ask ourselves. What am I seeking? Well, what are the motivations in my life for the things that I am doing and the reason I am doing the things that are taking place in my life? Like, what are my motivations? What am I seeking? For some of us, it's we seek peace. We just want just this peaceful life. We want peace at home with our children and we want peace in our workplace. And, and so we do everything we can to seek peace. Some of us want success. And so we work and we work and we work and we strive and we strive and we strive because what we are seeking is success. Some of us are seeking relationships. So we do everything we can to, to please the other person, to make the other people in our lives happy so those relationships can be strong. Some of us want security, stability. So we do everything we can to make sure that there is stability and security in our life. Some of us want power. Jesus asks, what are you seeking? He asks us, what are we seeking? Because the truth is, whatever you are seeking, it will never last this side of heaven. Because the things of this world are transient. They go away. You and I will never have perfect peace in our life. We will never have perfect security and stability. We will never have perfect, lasting, sustainable success or perfect relationships or enough power to satisfy us. The things that we seek that are of the world, we will never find them perfectly because they are easily fleeting. And it is only the things of God. So Jesus turns to them and says, what are you seeking? 
And they don't know what they're seeking just yet, but they will find out as they follow Jesus exactly what it is that they need to be seeking. Well, their answer to him is, well, where are you staying? And so he says to them, and these are very significant words that we will look at again, come and you will see. Come and see. We're going to see that these words are repeated in just a moment, so we'll get back to that. He says, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And so here we see as Jesus makes this call, he, he calls one, Andrew, and Andrew goes and finds Simon Peter, brings Simon Peter to Jesus, and now the two begin to follow. There's a pattern we're going to see that takes place in this next section. Verse, 40, verse 43 continues. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, We have found him who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to them, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Do you see how significant those three words are? Come and see. Those three words change two lives forever. Come and see. Those are words that are given to us. That we as followers of Jesus have the opportunity to go out and tell others, come and see. As we talk about what does it mean to be a church that reaches out, a reaching church, or a church that reaches out in love, as it says on our banners as part of our mission statement, we are reminded that it is our calling to reach out to others and to invite them to come and see. It is a life-changing invitation by which as people encounter Jesus, Jesus changes their lives, but only when they encounter Jesus and they are invited by the people who have been called to invite them to come and see. Do you notice twice now it has happened that one life changed leads to another life changed? That one who follows goes and calls another one, hey, come and see. You have to see who I met. You have to hear what I hear. You have to be a part of what I am a part of. Philip knew that this would change everything. So he went and he invited, come and see. And I want you to think about the people in your life that God has placed in your life that God has specifically positioned in your life so that you can invite them to come and see. Just like Andrew invited Simon Peter and Philip invited Nathaniel. So you and I, we have the opportunity to go to, to people in our life, family members or coworkers or neighbors and invite them, come and see. Well, he invites Nathaniel to come and see and Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a small town, and, and remember, nobody knows who Jesus is just yet. It says, what good is anybody who comes from Nazareth? There's no power there. There's no prestige there. There's nothing significant there. So, so what good can come from there? He says, come and see. 
So as he goes, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So he, he tells him, he, he basically performs a miracle of saying, I, I saw you, here's where you were, here's what you were doing. And Nathaniel is like, nobody else could have known that, so, so obviously you are something special. And Nathaniel answers him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, it's probably that he is referring to uh, the baptism of Jesus or he's referring to the ascension in some ways. But, but what he says to him is, you are going to see greater things. You know, when you and I invite others to come and see, we are inviting them to come and see greater things. I'm not saying greater things here in God's house and worship. But I'm saying we are inviting them to see through the eyes of faith. Because when you see through the eyes of faith, you see greater things. You see things in a greater way because you see the normal circumstances of life in a way that only God can use them to do glorious things for you and for the building of his kingdom. So when we invite others to come and see, we invite them to be a part of something that God has already made us to be a part of so that together we might worship and serve and glorify God. Now I want to show you three very significant implications of what this means for us to invite others to come and see. The first significant implication is this, that people just won't show up on their own. And I think there are sometimes we have an expectation that, that people will just, well, if they want to know Jesus, they'll just show up. It doesn't work like that. This isn't the field of dreams, build it and they will come, right? Some of you are, are too young to know field of dreams, just ask your parents later, they'll, they'll explain it to you, but, but it's not. The church is not just build a church building and people show up. It's the church that goes out and says, you know what I saw, you know what I heard, you know what I've been a part of, here, let me tell you my story, and you need to come and see, and you need to come and hear, and you need to become a part of the family, because when you are, there is a greater life that God has in store for you. And our lives, our homes, our workplaces actually become a place where church takes place. Do you ever think about that? That you can turn your cubicle your living room into a place where the church happens because you gather together and share the gospel with other people. And wherever two or three are gathered in God's name, there he is also. And our lives become the front door to the church, to being a part of his people. When we invite others to come and see the second significant thing that is in this text is there is a step further than inviting somebody. And we talked last year about intentionally inviting others, but when I was reading this text this year, I realized that, that inviting others is probably one step short of what God calls us to do. Do you notice in this text, they don't just invite someone to come and see. What do they do? Verse 42, five words. It talks about here, Andrew, and it says, and Andrew, he brought him to Jesus. Andrew heard and brought Simon Peter. 
Philip heard and brought Nathaniel. And we have the opportunity to hear and not just invite, but bring someone else. Why is that so significant? Well, it makes a difference to bring somebody when that person is indifferent, right? So if somebody is indifferent to something you invite them to, usually their response is, well, yeah, I'll try and show up if I have time, which means if, if it fits into my schedule, I'll be there. And if it doesn't fit, I'm not going to be there because they're indifferent to it. They just, they don't care about it as much. But instead of inviting and saying, hey, I'll meet you there, I'll see you there, what if we invited and then brought them with? What if we said, hey, let's do this together. I'll meet you at your house and we'll go together. You could come with us. For some of us, that might mean that we actually have to be inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel and changing lives. It might mean that we, we say, uh, you know what, instead of coming to a 9.30 worship service or an 8 o'clock worship service, to somebody who says, you know what, I'd love to come or, or maybe I'd consider coming, but I really can't do 8 o'clock or I can't do 9.30, but, but Saturday night works. It may mean that we need to inconvenience ourselves and say, you know what, I'll go on Saturday night with you then. Because what is one person's eternal life worth? Is it worth changing to a different worship time just so that they can come and see? Or maybe it means, you know what, hey, why, why don't we go to worship together tonight and then we'll go out to dinner and we can talk. Or hey, I'll take you out to breakfast and then we can go to worship. Or, or let's go to worship and then I'll take you to brunch. And maybe it's a few dollars here and there to take somebody out to eat afterwards to talk with them and process what they heard and what they were listening to. But what is somebody's eternal life worth? It goes a step further than just saying, hey, I invite you and if you come, awesome. And if you don't, well, I'll try again. But it says, you know what? I'm not just going to invite you to come and see, but I'm going to bring you with me. We'll go together. You know what? We could take two cars and I'll go in your car and my wife or my husband will drive the other car. But we're going to do this together to bring you with, to bring you to Jesus to come and see. The image that I get in this text as I, as I listen to this text is the image of a child. You ever have a child where, where you're sitting down on the couch, maybe you're reading the newspaper or, or a book or you're watching TV or you're on your iPhone, your iPad, and, and as you do that, well, one of your children comes running into the room and they're like, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, you got to come to the other room and see what we're doing. And you're like, sure, I'll be there in a minute because you're indifferent, right? You are, this is much more important or what's on TV is much more important than what they're doing in the other room. So, so I'll be there in a minute. Well, five minutes pass and you've completely forgotten. And so what do your children do again? They run back in, don't they? Mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, you have to come here and see what we did. And you're like, sure, I'll be there in a second. But you know, your football team is on the 20 yard line. They're about to score a touchdown. So why would that be more important than what your children are doing? So you sit there and you wait until finally your children come in and what's their last resort? They grab you by the hand, don't they? And they start pulling you, mommy, daddy, you have to come with me. And this time they don't invite you into the other room, they bring you into the other room and that's when you go. That's the image I get here in this text as we see Andrew invite Peter and Philip invite Nathaniel and then bring them with you have to come and see because this changes your life 
They bring them with them. And then after that, follow up. Meaning when you bring somebody with, follow up with them and don't give up. After they come and worship, say, say, how was that? Hey, can we talk about that? What did you hear? Hey, why don't we go again next weekend together? And keep following up and don't give up. Because the truth is in this text, who changed Simon Peter's life? Was it Andrew? No, it was Jesus in his words, right? Andrew just brought him. Who changed Nathaniel's life? Was it Philip? No, it was Jesus. It was his words that changed his life. But Philip and Andrew were conduits by which God worked. You and I, we can't change anyone's life. That's not up to us. But we can invite and bring with others to come and see. We can be the conduit by which others encounter and meet Jesus, and then Jesus changes their life. And the last implication, a very small but significant implication is this. Any of you know who Simon Peter was, who Andrew was, who Philip was before John chapter 1? Anyone know where they grew up? The home they came from? Their training? Yeah, neither do I. Because it really doesn't matter, does it? I think sometimes we think, but, but I, I haven't been trained. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go through college for this. You know, I, I don't know that I'm in a, a, a Bible study that helps equip me for that. I don't really know the training manual of witnessing. And, and what if they have questions I don't know? And, and, but did they ask any of those questions in the text? No. Were they anybody of significance before John chapter 1 in the text? No. They were seeming nobodies who decided it was their call to tell somebody about the only one who could change their lives. And that's what you and I get to do. When we serve for the purpose of the church, what we become is we become conduits by, by which God works so that we can invite and bring others to come and see Jesus. And it's when we are doing that and in those moments where we are sharing the gospel and bringing others to see Jesus, it's then that we fulfill the purpose for which God created his church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are many times where we do not serve the purpose for which you created us, where we are so focused on, on making sure that the church and the ministries and the things that happen here are done in the way that we want them to be so that we're comfortable and we enjoy it and we want it our way. And yet we are reminded that, that you did not create the church so that we could just take care of ourselves. You created the church so that we might go out and share the gospel with others, that we might be equipped as missionaries to reach out in love so that others might hear, so that we might invite them to come and see and we might bring them with us to a place where they might encounter the words of Jesus and that you might change their lives forever. So Lord, may we at Grace here fulfill the purpose for which you created us to be a church that is reaching out in love, inviting others in our homes and in our workplaces and our community to come and see and then opening up our lives wide enough to bring them with, even if it means we are inconvenienced in the process. 
because our inconvenience could make an eternal difference in their life. May we be the church that you have called and created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.